Psalm 129 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And as I was thinking about this psalm this week and thinking about the Psalms again in general, uh, I was reminded that when I was a kid, my buddies and I would play in this creek that was way back in the woods behind our little suburban neighborhood outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. My parents who are probably watching this will remember that I loved that little creek because I would get in trouble for going back there without permission all the time. Um, and the reason we would go back there is because we just loved the, the water and we played in the water. We took these little boats and made them go down the stream. Um, but most folks would not know that the creek was back there. You, you couldn't see it, and you certainly could not hear it uh, over all of the noise of uh, suburban hustle and bustle. But we could hear it. In fact, I think the reason I kept going back there was the creek sang to me. It beckoned me to come, and uh, we could hear it, and that's how we would find it. Uh, the sound of water rushing over the rocks sang to us. And we answered its call day after day after disobedient day. Um, I remembered that creek this week as I came across a powerful line at the end of one of Wendell Berry's poems. Now, I say that, and you're going to think, oh, he reads poetry. Mm, not, not, not enough. But I did read this one, and this was at the end of one of Wendell Berry's short poems. In fact, if you want to see the line, it's printed in your sermon notes, and uh, you can see it. But here, here's what it says. Wendell Berry said, the impeded stream is the one that sings. I'm going to say it again. The impeded stream is the one that sings. So now it's time for a little uh, dictionary lesson. What is the word, what does impeded mean? It means to be hindered or hampered or blocked or obstructed, impeded. It, it means that something's getting in your way. You see, without the rocks impeding or hindering or hampering or obstructing or blocking the flow of that creek, we would never hear it singing. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And Wendell Berry wanted us to see the picture he's painting of a stream strewn with small stones and big rocks. And he wants us to hear the stream singing the gleeful gurgles and the rejoicing roars of her hindered, hampered water rushing over the hard places that block and obstruct her flow. Now, there's nothing wrong with a quiet stream. There's, there's nothing wrong with a life that flows along without any hard things to get in its way. Nothing wrong with a life of no suffering or loss to impede our so-called progress. But the impeded stream is the one that sings. And you could write that line over all 150 of the Psalms that the Holy Spirit has preserved for us to read and pray and sing. 
every writer of every one of these psalms was an impeded string. And these are the 150 songs they sang in their suffering. As you read the psalms, you become aware that the lives of these psalm writers were hindered by hard things and hard places. They were hampered by pains and pressures, obstructed by physical and spiritual enemies, and blocked by their own sinful hearts. And so, these impeded streams sang. 40% at least of the songs are songs of lament. They're songs of groaning, grieving. Um, some, of the hymn, some, some of these songs are hymns of praise to God. Some of them are songs of thanksgiving. Some of, them's, some of them are songs of trust or confidence in God. There's, there's all kinds of singing that came out of these streams. And so, each Sunday, we've been escaping from the busy noise of our suburban lives to come and come alongside another psalm, another stream, and to hear what it would sing to us. And so as we read Psalm 129 together this morning, I want you to listen to what it is singing to you about your God. So let's stand together and read together. <coughs> psalm 129, a psalm, a song of ascent. And would you Read it out loud with me. It's short. Let's hear the word of the God who loves us. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated as I pray. <laughs> Father, help us now to hear the song that this psalm writer is singing about you to us and uh, encourage our hearts with the good news about Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. It's been a long week, <coughs> so <laughs> dare I say this out loud, I will try to keep this brief, briefer, um, and I'll try to get to the point, and I will certainly try not to cough as much as I can, but thank you for your patience. Listen, here's the message Psalm 129 has been singing to my heart this week. Here it is. You have been preserved so that you will persevere. You have been preserved so that you will persevere. You've been called by Jesus to follow him on the narrow way from here to home. Some of you 
are tired. Uh, you're not just weary in the walk, you're weary of the walk. And you're not sure you can take another step. The race God has called you to run seems to be too hard, too long, too much, and you wonder sometimes, how will I ever persevere on this path? This week, I watched my friends Leah and Nikki bury their mother. Uh, her name is Ann. We call her Granny. Um, the last 14 years of Granny's life, uh, Leah has been caring for her in her home, uh, in Leah's home. Uh, Granny, 14 years ago, was diagnosed with uh, normal pressure hydrocephalus. Uh, she had a brain surgery, and as a result of the disease and the surgery, she has had uh, dementia for 14 years, and Leah has cared for her. In Leah's words, um, it was strange to care for a woman that you know, but you don't know anymore. She loves her mom, but she wasn't exactly the mom she knew. The Lord called Leah and her family to persevere on a very difficult path. Um, we were with Leah and her husband the other night, and uh, they said that even now they, they find it difficult. They're checking their watch to see how long can we be out before we need to get back home and check on Granny or relieve the the one who's with her, um, their schedules, everything was, revolved, was revolving around Granny. That's a path of perseverance that Leah was called to. What about you? Where are you finding it tough to keep going these days? What has God called you to, but you find it difficult keep going. Um, Eugene Peterson has a great book um, that is a devotional look at all of these Psalms of Ascent, and the title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Um, he's been very helpful to me as I've uh, been preaching these, and even today he was helpful about this sermon. Um, a Long Obedience in the Same Direction requires perseverance. So where are you right now on that path of perseverance? One of the lessons we learn from the Psalms and from this Psalm in particular is this, that the path God calls you to uh, will be opposed. The path he calls you to pursue will be opposed when Jesus calls you to follow him, there will be those who fight against you following him. When you walk the way with Jesus, to Jesus, there will be warfare. Um, it's always been this way for God's pilgrim people. Listen to the first three verses. Israel describes it. The psalmist is kind of personifying Israel as a single person, and he says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. So uh, let Israel now say, so from, from the day Israel was born, 
they were opposed as the people of God. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. We'll come back to that. Listen to this description of the opposition. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. You know, furrows are those uh, long little crevices that a plow plows through the dirt. My dad grew up on a farm, and he reminds me of what it was like to uh, pull a plow, direct a plow behind a, a mule. So I always picture that when I read these verses. Uh, this is vivid imagery of the opposition um, the people of God experience as they try to walk with him and follow him. They're being plowed over like a field. Lying on their faces like a field before it's planted, they're torn to pieces by the plow, they're saying. Now, for the people of God, the Bible has always said that our greatest enemies are uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you've heard us say that before. Um, those, those are the, the ones who are continually opposing God's people on their pilgrimage. And for Leah, my friend Leah, the opposition sounded like this. The world would say to her, in other words, the way the world thinks about uh, suffering and caring for someone who is suffering. The world would say things like this. Don't give yourself away to another person like that, for another person like that. You're wasting your life, Leah. Why would you bring her into your home and have her life control every other aspect of yours? You're just wasting your life. Leah's own flesh, uh, what Paul called the flesh, the old Leah, before Christ Leah, would say to her, this is too hard. Maybe you are wasting your life. It's taking you away from having an impact on other people. You, see, you could be ministering to other people if you didn't have to have such a, a hemmed-in, restricted life here. This is too long. Why, God, why? This makes no sense. And then, of course, Leah's other enemy, the devil, Satan, asks questions. Where is God? Does he not care about your mom to let her suffer like this? Does he not care about you? The path he called her to pursue was opposed. But there's something else that we learn from Psalm 129. Right in the middle of all that opposition, verse 2 says, Yet they have not prevailed against me. God's people persevere when they look back and see how God has preserved them. We persevere because we know that we've been preserved. They have not prevailed against me. The enemies of God's people, the world, the flesh, the devil, they may plow over us, but they will never prevail over us. Why? Verse 4, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. The enemies of God's people will not prevail, and we will persevere only because the Lord has preserved us. 
He is righteous, so he rescues. Now, here's the question. We, we assume, uh, uh, we good Presbyterians, we assume when we read righteous, we, we think we know exactly what that means. It means doing what's right, doing what's just, and, and that's true. But we have to ask what the psalm writer means here by righteous. Um, he means that the Lord does the right thing. He does what is just or righteous. It does mean that. But hang on a second. God is holy and just, and his people were not holy and just. Wouldn't the right thing be to give them what they deserve? If God is righteous, then it doesn't make sense that he would cut the cords of the wicked. It makes sense that he would let, let these people be plowed over because of the way they have disobeyed him and not been faithful to him. Perhaps letting their enemies prevail would be the right thing for God to do according to his justice. But as several Bible scholars point out, and uh, as Eugene Peterson has observed, this word has more to do with God doing the right thing according to his relational commitment to his people. He would be right not to preserve them, but since the Lord, Yahweh, had made a covenant with the descendants of Abraham that he would be their God and they would be his people, he would do the right thing that is in line with that relational commitment to them. He made a covenant with them, and he will keep it. So then the right thing for him to do would be to give them what they don't deserve, but instead preserve them by cutting the cords of the wicked, cutting loose the team of oxen the enemy uses to plow over God's people. So what the psalmist is saying is <laughs> that the reason we can persevere and that our enemies have not prevailed is because God has been faithful to us to preserve us, to keep his commitment to us. The enemies of God's people will not prevail and we will persevere only because the Lord has promised to preserve us because we are his. And so now this psalm writer in Israel Though they are impeded streams, they sing confidence in God. They sing, we will persevere because God has preserved us and the enemy will not prevail over us. And now they, they can pray against their enemies with confidence that God will answer their prayers because he has already defeated their enemies. Look at verse 6 talking about their enemies, those who oppose the people of God. Let them be like the grass on the housetops. Now, in Israel in those days, their roofs were often made of soil, and so seed could blow and land and, and grass could grow on your roof. Uh, that's a little different than the moss that's growing on mine, but grass could grow on your roof. And so he prays, that they would be like that grass on a rooftop which withers before it grows up. Verse 7, with which the reaper does not fill his hand nor the binder of sheaves his arm. You know, the reaper will come and look to, oh, eh, there's not really anything there to reap. There's nothing there to bind. There's nothing there. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. 
which is what uh, the people of Israel would say to the harvesters who, who were reaping a bountiful harvest. Oh, look how blessed you are. The blessing of the Lord be upon you. There's no blessing for the enemy of God because there is nothing fruitful for the, for, to be reaped. Their enemies will be like the grass that grows on the rooftops of Israel. Opposition, opposition may sprout for a moment, but it will not persevere. The enemies of God's people will not prevail. They will wither and they will fade. So, what does, what does this mean for us? We didn't live back then. So how does this help me? How does this help you follow Jesus this week? Remember, Jesus sang these psalms from the cradle to the cross. They were always in his heart. They were always on his tongue. So more than anyone, Jesus could be described by these words, the impeded stream is the one that sings. Jesus was opposed, and yet his life sang confidence in God. And so when we read the Psalms, um, we should read them as if Jesus was praying and singing them. If you do that, you may read them as if the psalm writer is singing and praying it, of course. But then stop and read it again as if Jesus was singing it or praying it. And it unlocks a whole another understanding of what the psalm means. So what would Psalm 129 mean to the heart of Jesus? Listen again as I read a little bit of it. Imagine Jesus praying this, singing this. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Remember, uh, Jesus had to, uh, the family had to flee to Egypt because Herod was trying to kill Jesus. From the time he was a baby, he was being pursued. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. Now this is the part, this is the verse that always makes me think of Jesus, and this is why um, Allison and Laura chose the image they did for the front of the bulletin this morning because this verse reminded them of Jesus scourged. When were furrows plowed into the back of Jesus? When he was scourged and when his back was torn to pieces by the cat of nine tails. Who were the plowers who gave him those stripes? Who pierced his flesh and opened it up like a plow opens up the earth? The Romans? Yes. But the Bible says there's a real sense in which we were the plowers who broke open the flesh of Jesus. Isaiah 53 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds... King James says, with his stripes, we were healed. Those furrows were furrows we put there, and yet those were furrows he used to heal us. You see, our worst enemies are Satan, our sin, 
and the death and hell that we deserve for following him and loving our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took the stripes. He took the plowing that we deserve so that we could all be preserved. And then he kicked open the gates of uh, death, hell, and the grave from the inside out. Because of his father's righteous commitment to us, because out of his great love for us, his father cut the cords of the wicked. Or as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Cords of death, hell and the grave were cut off of Jesus and off of us, who those of us who are in him. And so now, all of you who put your confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done in your place can know that your worst enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, did not prevail over you because God preserved you. God has cut the cords of the wicked. God has made them like the grass on a rooftop. They may show themselves for a while, but in the end, they will not persevere, but you will. If God preserved you from your greatest enemies, you can be sure he will enable enable you to persevere on your journey from here to home, no matter what or who opposes you, even your own me first heart. You can hear the confidence of Psalm 129 in the New Testament in verses like these. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You can hear the confidence of Psalm 129 in Hebrews 12. Hebrews was written to uh, Jewish Christians who were not only getting weary in the walk with Jesus, they were getting weary of it, and some were turning back. And this letter was written from a pastor to them to warn them, to call them back, to call them to persevere. And in Hebrews chapter 12, after, after chapter 11 of person after person after person who had persevered by faith in Jesus, the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy... (coughs) Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame... And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. This is how you persevere. You consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. We persevere by considering him who persevered for us. And in his perseverance preserved us. And then, these famous and favorite verses from Romans 8. 
And when I start reading them, you're going to say, Jimmy, every sermon you preach sounds like you're coming back to the same old thing. You better believe it. There's no way you're going to persevere without the gospel, with what, without what Jesus has done for you. And if you're like me, you forget between Sunday and Sunday. And so here, here this. This is the fuller version of what I say to you on Sundays. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's, he's going between for us, between us and God. He's praying for us. This is how you persevere. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including yourself, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how we persevere. Because he has persevered for us to preserve us. I told the family and friends of Ann Johnson on Wednesday night that their mother is an impeded stream whose life sang joy in Jesus. It's true. And then I stood by Granny's grave on Thursday morning and told her daughter Leah, your life is an impeded stream too. And it's been singing to us. Right now it sings lament and grief and gratitude. Leah's life sings preserving confidence, uh, persevering confidence in her preserving God. My question for you this morning is, are you an impeded stream? Is there something trying to hinder and hamper uh, the flow of your walk with Jesus? If so, let it sing. Look to Jesus who lived and died and rose again to preserve you. Let your impeded life sing a song of persevering confidence in him. This is good news. Father, thank you for the reminder of something we already know, but that we tend to forget and to uh, not often believe. That all that could oppose us, um, all that could impede us from being with you and knowing you, you have removed in your son Jesus. And now all those things that tend to try to impede us and oppose us and 
and hinder us, all those rocks in our lives. <laughs> all they serve to do is to cause us to sing our confidence in you and to strengthen our grip on the rock who is Christ, our Lord. Would you help us? Help us to have that kind of persevering confidence in him. We ask in his name. Amen.